0: And Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? This afternoon? Where are we? (laughs) Praise the Lord. We'll open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Today we continue our series on the theology of the family. Today will be part 3 of this study. And we will look at what God requires of parents. We're going to look at one text And we'll use that and sort of springboard into other texts as we cover uh, this topic. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 4. The word of the Lord says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity now, God, to look at your word on what it says about the family and what it says about our duty as parents. Lord, we pray you'd be with us. And Lord, that the words that I say would be what you have said in your word. Nothing more, nothing less, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the years, really the last 20 years, various organizations have done various studies that have shown somewhere between 70 to 90% of children who grow up in the church leave the faith when they leave the home. This is 70 to 90% of children who attend church regularly grow up in a Christian home and leave the faith which they really never had. These studies are undeniable. They're indisputable. Yet churches have either completely ignored this problem or have tried to develop more pragmatic ways outside of Scripture to solve the problem. They're looking in all the wrong places for the solution. But what they don't realize, if you study history, is that great revivals have always had an element of reforming the family back to God's design. We just celebrated yesterday the Protestant Reformation, and even during that 16th century uh, Reformation, the Reformers gave great prominence to the training and admonition of children. Then in our own confession, the 1689 uh, Second London Baptist Confession, which was actually written uh, about 15 years prior... Even in their preface, they state the very fact that family religion is on the decay, meaning that there's no centrality of the gospel and there are no focus to raise children in the Lord, and that is the problem of decay with religion of their time. And then the Puritans in the next century developed this even further, which paved the way for the Great Awakening. Uh, the church needs a reformation when it comes to the family. We need to repent of our pragmatic ways of thinking. We need to repent of our own inv- inventions and fancy programs that abdicate mother and father's duty to train up their children in the Lord. My last message two weeks ago was on how we need to reform the way of, uh, our way of thinking when it comes to child obedience. Children, much of the the last message was geared towards you, if you recall, and I pray that you really took that to heart. Today, we're going to sort of overlap the last message by developing the the theology of parenting. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, and then we're going to springboard into other texts to get a full picture of duties that we have as mothers and fathers. So I hope to show you today not only the theological implications of the text, but also to to provide some tangible application uh, to help us in this endeavor. But before we dive, dive into the text, we need to reform our very view of children. You know, we are to not be conformed to this world, amen? But we are to be renewed in our minds with the Word of God we need to reform our way of thinking about children in general because our culture hates children. Our culture views children as a nuisance. Don't believe me? Our culture wants to first kill babies in the womb and they want to make it legal to be able to kill babies in the womb at any point for any reason at any stage of development. Then if they are born, They want to shuffle them off and let somebody else deal with them so that they can live their best life now and make their dreams come true. Or, even worse, our culture hates children because they seek to indoctrinate them with God-hating evil ideologies, and that is hatred, the sexualization of our children, and the permeating ideologies that they're trying to teach our children shows me that our culture truly hates children. And this is spilled over into the church. Many mainstream, especially Big Eva, I call them, or they're called, and Baptist churches, children are not valued. And I can show you how they're not valued in many of these mainstream Big Eva churches. You take some of the families here, uh, and you walk into some of these churches with your kids. And what are they going to do? Welcome to our church. Your kids go that way. And the adults go this way. Oh, no, we'll keep our kids with them. No, no, no. We have a children's church, and we have trained people to teach your kids on their level. Uh, that's at best. You understand there are some churches, and, and I've seen them with signs that say, children cannot enter the sanctuary during service. Matter of fact, there are some big churches, you might be surprised in our nation, that they frown upon children being with their parents, worshiping God. And I would say that these churches and many evangelical churches have been conformed to the world because the world hates kids. They want to get them away. They want to shuffle them away because they're a nuisance. But my Bible says that children are a blessing, that children are a gift from the Lord. Psalm 127 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak. With their enemies in the gate. Friends, we have lost as a church this view of children. Children are a primary means that God uses to grow his kingdom for Christ. And he gives us the blueprint to raise children to be like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior I, I don't know about you but i want my kids to be a godly force for the kingdom of god i want them to be as uh, i believe Bodie balkam said not just arrows but ballistic missiles for christ to impact this world for the kingdom of god i want my great-grandchildren lord willing the hundreds of them to take ground for christ I want to see my posterity to be used as means for Christ to put his enemies under his feet. 1 Corinthians 15 says that he shall reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. My desire and my prayer is that my posterity, that God uses them to put his enemies under his feet. Is that your prayer? I hope it is. So, we need to reform our, our very thinking about children and how much of a blessing they are to us. So, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, while this text is addressed to fathers, pater, in the Greek, it applies to both parents. And this word in the original language itself, has, it can be used to imply both parents. Hebrews eleven twenty three, for example, the same Greek word in the plural, pater, uh, is used in reference to Moses' parents, plural, how Moses' parents, by faith, hid him. Okay, The same word in the plural is used to denote his parents. So it could be rendered parents here. So the first command, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, there's a parallel passage, Colossians 3, verse 21, that you can look up where it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Now, oftentimes when we think do not provoke to anger, if you have more than one kid, you see what provoking is. Okay, You see the siblings provoking each other. They think it's fun. I'm going to poke my sister with a pencil and keep poking her until she gets a, you get an arousal from her. You get, and She's angry, right? And we think, oh, we don't do that, right? I don't provoke my kid to anger, right? But I'm going to give you some examples of how you may not even realize that you are provoking your children to anger. Or as it says in Colossians, exasperating them and causing them to lose heart. So the word provoke to anger, that's one word. It means to arouse to anger, uh, the Colossians passage says to not exasperate. It's a very similar word. And it says in Colossians, don't do that so to cause them to lose heart. So I want to give you some examples of how fathers and mothers can exasperate their children or provoke them to anger. Now, you'll notice that I don't have my iPad, so I don't have the time on here. Okay, so forewarning you. My iPad is two hours away, left it last week, so I had to go old school and print my sermon notes, which means I don't have a clock. So so here are some examples of fathers and mothers on how we can exasperate or provoke our children. Uh, The first way is by not disciplining them, by not disciplining your children with the rod, and we're going to get into that later, but by not disciplining, you will provoke your children. You will exasperate them. Now, modern parents think they're so wise. Hey, I don't need spanking. It's old school. Uh, And so what happens, modern parents, they don't spank. They just yell at their kids. They're just yellers, right? They get so irritated enough where their kids aren't doing what they're told. So then they start shouting and yelling out of anger. That's how to provoke your child. There shouldn't be any yelling going on by mothers and fathers. Uh, But most modern day parents, they just yell instead of spank. And I would say that's even worse, or that is that is. Worse. That's how you frustrate them. And that's how you project your anger upon them. If you're yelling out of anger, guess what? You're teaching them. You're teaching them how to be angry. You're coaching them to sin. So we should never do that. Uh, Also, by not disciplining in a consistent manner. One day they fail to make their bed, you don't say anything. The next day they fail to make their bed, and the wrath of mom is upon them, right? They get disciplined. They get all their privilege taken away. And because it's all pent up and you're provoking them, you're causing them to lose heart because they don't know what to do. They're walking on eggshells like one minute mom's letting me do this. The next minute I get the wrath of dad. Like what's going on? You're causing them to lose heart and even provoking them to be an angry child. Or by disciplining inconsistently between mom and dad. Now this is big. This happens in a lot of of marriages mom gives consequences for this dad lets those slide or vice versa dad gives consequences for this mom lets those things slide that's how you provoke your children to anger to cause them to lose heart uh, you got to be on the same page okay or if you don't um, excuse me fathers you need to lead in this area not be passive passive okay Fathers, I I challenge you to be clear and concise on what you expect and giving consequences for disobedience. And ladies, wives, I want to encourage you to bring your parenting challenges to your husbands. You're at home with them. You see their sin on a daily basis. Okay, Husbands, you're to lead in this area. It's not your wife's fault. It's not your wife's problem when the kids are misbehaving during the day. Guess what? If there's a problem in the home, it's your problem. Dad, it's your problem. So when your wives come to you with a problem, don't ignore it. Don't brush it off. Don't say, oh, just figure it out, right? It's your problem, Dad. So take that upon you. If there's a challenge at home with discipline, with children, you have to take the lead and not put the load upon your wife. It's not hers to bear. It's not hers to bear. So take the lead. If it's your wife's problem... It's your problem. And now, wives, also follow your husband's lead here. Go to your husband, right? You need, your husband can see things that you simply cannot see, okay? Vice versa. Uh, but wives, follow your husband's lead. You do a, a great disservice by not keeping your husband's uh, uh, st- like standards, if you will, while he's away. What do, I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, your husband's not there and you know that your, your husband doesn't want this to happen or your husband wants this or that to happen when he's gone and you let that slide or don't don't heed that whatever it it is uh, it could be anything small what you're telling your children what you're showing your children is not being submissive to your husband if they know that dad doesn't want that but mom just he just she's just letting it slide and let it you know it's, it's not a big deal right Don't be surprised when your kids then start to not be submissive to you because you're showing them how to not be submissive to your husband. This is how you exasperate and provoke them to anger. So either by not disciplining or in an inconsistent manner. You can also provoke your children by disciplining out of anger. If you want an angry child, discipline them in anger. If you are spanking your kids while you are angry or frustrated, you are in sin and you need to repent. If you are angry when it's time to discipline, parents, you have to stop. You have to take time away, take a time out, uh, collect yourself before administering discipline. Another way to provoke your children, cause them to lose heart, is to criticize them publicly. Criticize your kids in front of their siblings. Criticize your kids in front of their friends, and you will cause them to lose heart. Another way is to show favoritism. If you're showing favoritism towards their siblings, you will provoke them to anger. And the Bible says that showing partiality is a sin. Now, I want to qualify that because we don't treat all of our children in the same manner because of their age or because of... Uh, you know, their situation, uh, or if you have a more obedient and honoring child, they're going to get more privileges, right, than another one who's more obstinate. We're not talking about that. We're talking about blatant, overt favoritism, where everybody knows that little Sally Sue is dad's favorite, and she gets away with everything, but if I do something, then I get punished, but she can do the same thing and not get punished. That's favoritism, and we see this In the Bible, with Jacob, loving Joseph more than all his sons, he showed overt favoritism because he was the son of his old age. And he made, you know the story, he made him a very colored tunic, openly showed him favoritism, and his brothers saw that his fathers loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. That's a way to provoke your children to anger by showing favoritism and you have to guard against that. You got to guard against that. Another way to provoke your children to anger is to never be satisfied with their behavior. Many of us had parents like this. I know I did. Where it didn't seem like what whatever you did, they had such high expectations, maybe not both parents, I had one like that. It didn't seem like anything was ever met their expectations. And oftentimes as parents, we can portray the same thing. If all of our communication to our children is always negative about what they have done or what they haven't done, then we are provoking them to anger. We want to help them and show them their sin. We want to show them those things and lead them to Christ, but we can't have our entire communication be a matter of fault finding in everything they do we will provoke them to anger another way to provoke them to anger is to be a hypocrite to be a bad example you want to provoke your children expect them to do things that you yourself won't do yell at them the whole ride to church and then put a smile on your face that will provoke them to anger now we're not perfect Moms and dads, I understand that. And if and when you do speak harshly out of anger or if you yell at them, you don't go put a smile on your face when your neighbor calls or your friend calls or you come to church. You go to your children and repent of it. You go to your child and you say, listen, dad knows that I spoke harshly to you and that I yelled at you. It was sin. And I know that I tell you not to do that. Please forgive me for doing the very thing that I tell you not to do. It was wrong of me to do. Not many parents, and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can do that. Not many parents want to do that. But you must, Dad. You must, Mom. Go and repent to your children. Ask them, will you please forgive me? Pray with them. You struggle with that. I struggle with that. Let's pray together. Will you pray for me in this area as I try to be a good example to you? You know, in Acts chapter 4, I believe verse 12 says that with repentance comes renewing and refreshing. With repentance to God and repentance to your children, there's not condemnation. It comes refreshing. Your, your child will love you for it. So, do not provoke your children to anger, it says, but instead bring them up, your version might say, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So in the Bible, here in the Greek, in the word but is Allah, which is a stark contrast. Uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, don't do that. Do not provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To bring them up is one word, it's a verb, And listen, friends, it's in the imperative, which means it's a command. The word in in the Greek means to nurture to maturity. And it is in the imperative, again, which means you are commanded to bring your children up. How? It says, in the nurture or discipline and admonition of the Lord. This preposition, in, in the Greek, literally means like a sphere. So you're to bring your children up in the sphere, think about like a, a sphere, a ball, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The first word where it says um, discipline or nurture, your version might say, this word is actually broad in scope and it refers to the whole of child education and child rearing. It's broad scope. In scope it's it's the whole shebang it's the whole child rearing phase both in education both in training both in rearing both in discipline that's what the word means and please note who is tasked with this job who is given this task of training education discipline nurture and instruction. That's right. It's the parents. It's the parents. Primarily, the fathers are responsible for their child's education, training, and upbringing. That's what the word means. It's broad in scope. Then the next word is instruction or admonition. This is more of a specific sense. It means a specific exhortation, specific correction. Okay, we're to bring our children up In the correcting, warning, disciplining of the Lord. And that is the key in the whole text. Of the Lord. Lord here is used in the genitive or possessive case. It denotes ownership. Okay, it's sort of like we use the apostrophe S for ownership. Like if I say this is Mark's Bible... You would say Mark apostrophe S. That in the English denotes ownership. It's not your Bible. You can't highlight in Mark's Bible. Mark can't highlight in his Bible because I don't highlight in Bibles. It's borderline heresy. Just kidding. But this is Mark's Bible, apostrophe S. The Greek doesn't have apostrophe S's. So in in the Greek, Lord is parsed to denote ownership. So it could read, if it was written in the, well, it, it, it could read that you are to bring your children up in the Lord's, apostrophe S, in the Lord's discipline. You are to bring your children up in the Lord's instruction. You are to bring your children up. You are to mature them in the Lord's admonition, in the Lord's Training. This is the key to the whole passage, mom and dad. These are your parameters for raising your children. The Lord's discipline, the Lord's instruction. It's not your own pragmatic way of thinking. That is not how you are to raise your children. It's not your clever ideas. It's not your subjective way of doing things, but it's the objective truth found only in God's word. So therefore, your children's upbringing, their education, their training, their teaching must be all within the realm of a biblical world view, God's law, God's statutes, God's wisdom, God's instruction. It should be so much to the point that you almost feel like you're being used as God's vessel to instruct your children throughout their entire life the discipline and instruction your children are to have must be of the Lord. And it must be transmitted by mom and by dad. This is not a duty, friends. This is not a duty that you have the liberty to abdicate or to abrogate to another. Now, perhaps calling on other godly saints to assist Praise God, amen, for that. A tutor, a, a Christian co op, perhaps. But it must not be abrogated or abdicated to anyone because God gave you the task, mom and dad. And it especially must not be abdicated to Caesar. It is not Caesar's job to educate your children. Caesar does not have the authority to educate your children, and Caesar does not have the tools, and obviously, Caesar does not have the biblical worldview to raise your children. Okay? Uh, Voddie gives this example, uh, I think he, recently in a sermon, where, you know, they came up to Jesus and tried to test him and says, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, show me the coin, whose inscription is on it. And he says, Caesar, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's and what's God's, God's. Okay? And then Bodhi Bakum says, Show me a child. Bring me a child. Whose inscription is on it? Whose image is he made after? God. So do not render to Caesar what's God's. Children are made in the image of God. They are not to be rendered to Caesar. Now friends, this is hard in today's, uh, today's culture. I understand that. There are situations where people seem like they're forced to have to put their children in Caesar's school. And this is where I indict the church. It's incumbent upon the church uh, to come alongside parents who may feel like they have to use Caesar to school their children. It's our fault. We ought to come alongside of them and help them in every and any way we can so that mom and dad can be the ones responsible for schooling and training their children. I mean... We send children away to godless institutions that teach them godless things and I don't care if there are Christian teachers in the public schools. My, I have a, a relative that is a Christian, he's in the public school, he's a teacher, but he can't teach biblical worldviews, he can't teach biblical things, he would get fired on the spot. And the whole idea that our children could be salt and light in the schools is a fallacy. It's not even what the text is teaching when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said to be salt and light in the world, okay? Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verse 40, listen, friends, he said, a pupil or a student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Who is teaching your children? even if they might be a Christian, if they're forced to teach a God-hating system, they're not above their teacher. They will be negatively influenced. And then we send them away to godless universities to be trained by leftists and Marxists who are very well-trained and very articulate and are very well, and are great at debating and influencing and convincing people who thought they believed in Christ that everything they believe is false and in shambles and they ought to reject it. We have to be more discerning than this, friends. A recent study showed that the average child spends just 90 to 120 minutes per day with their parents. Out of 24 hours, 90 to 120 minutes, that's it. Yet on average, they're spending four hours a day in the public schools. Now, that's spread out over a year, okay? It's usually six hours plus travel commute time, right? They're spending all that time away. But it's a two-to-one ratio. Kids in public schools are a two-to-one ratio, not to mention oftentimes in homes there's a lack of quality time with their parents during those 90 to 120 minutes, And furthermore, teenagers now, on average, spend 4.1 hours per day on social media. Which I don't think they're in the Christian godly influencing circles on social media. Children in public schools will spend almost 9,000 hours before they hit ninth grade being taught God-hating evil ideologies and we wonder why our culture is the way it is. The church has gotten so nearsighted because Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I don't need, I don't need to look long-term, but the enemy is using these Marxist ideologies. They have a long-term game. The long-term gain is if we can get the children, then we can get a nation and we can get a culture. And Christians, we have to be more discerning and be more wise about these things we abandon parental duties to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the lord and we wonder why we are in the situation we are in and listen psalm 1 1 through 2 could not be clearer how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers i can't think of any other place other than a public school or a public university where somebody is sitting in the council of the wicked and standing in the path of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers. But instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he does meditate day and night. So mom and dad, you are responsible to bring your children up in the training and instruction of Lord. Now I understand, again, there there are situations and circumstances, but we the church needs to come alongside and help as much as we can to get our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we know it's your duty, mom and dad. How do we do it? So how do we do it? I want to give you five ways that you moms and dads can accomplish this very important tasks and these will come quick Uh, first we must accomplish this task by having vision having visions dad do you have a vision for your family if your wife asks hey what's your vision for our family what do you want to what do you want to do with us right this again we we can't have a short-term vision we have to have a long-term vision what do we want where do we want to see our family five years from now where do we want to see our family 10 years from now Where do we want to see our family six months from now? Listen, dads, uh, women want a strong leader to follow, but if you're not going anywhere, it's hard for them to follow you, okay? Go somewhere, have vision, have direction, and be determined to take your your family uh, in the way of the Lord. So have vision first. Second, we accomplish this task by leading by example. We have to lead by by example. And I mentioned that earlier. That's number two. Third, we accomplish this task by disciplining our children. You have to discipline your children. This starts in the formative years when they're even younger than the toddler age. It starts with the rod of correction. We must spank our kids in a godly manner. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. It doesn't say foolishness is bound in the heart of a child but if you just yell at them enough it will remove it from him. It doesn't say putting him in time out will remove it far from him. It doesn't say giving him the count of three will remove it far from him. No, it says the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And listen, the first few years of a child's life are so vital. If you have little ones, time is weaning. You have to do what you can do to secure child obedience at a very young age. It starts early, mom and dad. And when I mean early, I mean early when little Catherine is walking or crawling and she's very aware and she pulls on the cord and you tell her don't do that and then five seconds later she crawls to another owl that looks at you because she knows and you say Catherine don't do that she yanks it out and starts laughing oh she's so that's so cute no that's sin you must deal with that now because that little toddler disobeying you now becomes a obstinate child when they're five and becomes a rebellious teenager when they're 15. If you're diligent within the first few years, it not only blesses them, it also blesses you. Why do you think parents stop having kids after one or two We get this all the time, having nine kids. I don't know how you do it. I can't even do it with my two. Why do you think parents stop having kids on purpose after one or two? Because they won't discipline and they become little hellions and they're like, I can't deal with any of them. So I'm gonna shuffle them off to daycare. I'm gonna shuffle them off to this program because I don't wanna deal with them in my own house. Well, I would stop having kids too. (laughs) But the point is, is that if we're diligent in the formative years, it will bless not only them, it will bless us. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son he who withholds his rod hates his son but he who loves him disciplines him it says diligently proverbs 25 or excuse me 29 15 the rod of repute reproof gives wisdom but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother you want to bring shame to yourself let a child get his own way Verse 17 of the same chapter, correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will be a delight to your soul. If your children aren't being a delight to your soul right now, brothers and sisters, maybe you ought to reevaluate how you're training and disciplining them. When you discipline your child with the rod and when you do it consistently, when you do it lovingly and firmly, you're loving him. You're loving her. Do not ever give a command to your child in which you do not intend for them to obey and this was some of the best advice i got years ago do not give a command to a child if you are not fully prepared and ready to administer discipline if they do not comply how many times do we just utter out commands knowing that oh i'm not the time or place to utter discipline And they just continually disobeying. What you're doing is you're actually coaching them to sin. When you tell little Sally, Sally, come here. And she looks at you and continues to do something. Sally, I said, come here. And she comes. You didn't win. You just lost. You just taught your child to break the fifth commandment. Mark, you're being hard. This is what God's word says, friends. You're teaching them, I only have to obey when mom gets those veins in her neck and she says it to me for the second time, that's when I have to obey. You just taught your child to break the fifth commandment. When you tell your child to go take out the trash and they say, why do I always have to take out the trash? Why can't Betty take out the trash? And you don't deal with it and you just say, because I said so. They just rebelled against you. They just broke the fifth commandment. They didn't honor their parents. You have to deal with it. Otherwise, not only are you coaching them to sin mom and dad, you're actually hardening their heart. You're hardening their heart and you're causing it to get worse. You ought to be able to train your children in such a way where they know that mom or dad asks in a very calm way, please go make your bed. They know if they don't go make their bed that first time that they're going to be disciplined. Now, I am not perfect. I, am not, I, am, I have a lot of faults. I'm standing up here as a sinner talking to another sinner. But I know when I get into the habit of having to give them that, that really um, serious look, and ask in a certain way, because they know, okay, that now he's going to discipline if I don't do it. Then I've just undermined all my parenting. If they don't do what you tell them to do, while you say it in a calm demeanor, you know you, they have your attention, and you ask them to do something calm, and you have to ask two and three times, and the level of frustration gets up, you're just hardening their heart and coaching them. You're coaching them to sin, it is unacceptable to allow even a toddler even a toddler to willingly disobey their mother or father. And God holds you responsible by letting them get away with that. God holds you responsible. I guarantee you and children you can you know this is true. When your parents give you a command and you act like you didn't hear them because they said, go put your shoes away, go take out the trash, whatever it is. Parents, if you don't administer some sort of discipline there and just give an excuse, oh, they must not have heard me or they must be not thinking. Listen, your, your children need to learn to heed the words of their parents, whether they're asking to take out the trash. Because I guarantee if you would have said, quieter, come take out the trash so I can give you some ice cream. I guarantee that they would hear that from across the other side of the house and come running. Why? Because they hear ice cream, right? We need to teach and train our children to honor their parents in such a way that they do the same thing even when there's no ice cream attached. So your children hear you, okay? Don't excuse them for not because they're hearing you. But this also will allow bitterness if you continue to allow them to sin and don't deal with the discipline issues. Now, the whole purpose of discipline, friends, hear me on this. The whole purpose of your discipline is not to correct their external behavior. If your whole motivation for disciplining your children is so that they just behave better on the outside, you've missed the whole point of discipline. The discipline that you are to administer, according to the word of God, is not to have better external behavior, but is to draw out the heart. It's to draw out the sin in their heart. Proverbs 20 and verse 5. A man's heart are like deep waters, it says, but a man of understanding will draw it out. That's what our discipline is aimed. We're not disciplining. You shouldn't discipline because you're irritated with them. You should never discipline because they're frustrating you or embarrassing you. That should never be the aim of your discipline. Your discipline must be to get to the heart. You must discipline out of your love for them, that you want to see them come to Christ. So you discipline them and you show them, here is where the blessing is, Sally. God has shown you your sin. When you talked to your mother that way, when you hit your sister when you disobeyed when you threw a fit when you did this when we asked you to do that it is a blessing to you sally because god is showing you that your heart is in defiance of him you have disobeyed god and now as your father i must administer the rod i must spank you for being did whatever it is But this is a blessing so that God shows you your sin so that you can confess it and repent of it and get right with God. That is the aim for discipline, friends. You understand? It's not for mere external behavior. So we must discipline. But not only discipline, friends, we must set up our children for success. We must also train our children. Okay? Because it does no good to discipline with a rod if we don't tell our children what we do expect of them. We have to be clear, here's what we expect, and we have to train our children and give them an opportunity to practice what it is that we are telling them. We can provoke our children if we don't set expectations for them up front. You know, I used to play baseball, and we practiced a lot. And when it came to game time, our coach told us what he expected, and it was what we practiced on. If we're never practicing with our children we're setting them up for failure and we might administer discipline but we're provoking them from anger because they don't know what to expect we have to train our kids off the field you get what i'm saying so for example church it's game time for your kids right this is game time uh you know that you tell your kids right you're gonna sit you're gonna be quiet but do you train them outside the field? Do you train them off the field? Not only do we want our our young ones to sit still and to be quiet, but we also want to train our kids as they're getting bigger to give God their ears, to give God their mind. Because a 10-year-old can sit here and not listen to anything I say, and it would be like the seed that's sown on the rocky path that the enemy comes and swoops it up. So we want to train them to listen with all of their mind and to give their ears to God, to the preaching of the word. We want to train them at home to do that. So very early on with our children, we would train them. And I'll say, dad dad would say, come to the living room, set up chairs. We're going to pretend we're in church. We had a training time and I would give them rewards for it. I put on a sermon for them to listen to. Now I want you to pretend, kids, that you are in church. Here are the three things I expect from you. You stay in your chair, you keep your mouth closed, and keep your hands to yourself. That was like the three things. And I'd practice from the age of, I don't know, 18 months, two years. And a precept upon precept, we'd practice and we train. Whatever challenges you have, maybe it's the grocery store, if, if anybody goes into the grocery store, instead of doing the Walmart pickup. If you have a challenge with the grocery store, have a time of training at the home. Okay, kids, here's what I expect from you. I did that after one of our children. Uh, And again, I'm not perfect. I learned this from another mentor. Okay. I'm just passing this along. Uh, I would practice. I had three rules going to the grocery store with my little one. You don't touch anything. You don't ask for anything and you smile and say hi to the workers. Those are my three rules. If they broke any of their rules, even if they were two years old, they knew that they were going to get a spanking from dad. And guess what? That was a blessing to my wife for them when she had to go to the grocery store then she had trained kids that weren't grabbing things, asking for everything in every aisle, and then throwing a fit when they don't get what they want. You've seen those kids at Walmart, right? So we have to train our children on what we want them to accomplish. Even sibling, you have sibling challenges? Train. Here's a situation. Okay, Johnny. Not you, Johnny. Johnny. Uh, little Johnny, make sure, okay, pretend sister just took something from you. What do you say? You don't take it back. You don't, you know, yell at her. You don't come running to mom. You ask nicely. May I please have that back? And you practice. If it takes 20 minutes, you practice. Train your kids. Set them up for success. So the foundation of nurturing our children in the Lord, the foundation, parents, is securing child obedience. You've got to secure it. Secure it early. And if you have older ones where you haven't secured obedience, what do I mean by securing obedience? It means you're not afraid to ask them something because you're afraid of their response. I don't care how how old your child is. If you're afraid to ask them to do something or afraid to say no to something, you've got a problem. That's a flag. That's one of those warning lights in your car. If you have an older child and you're afraid to say no to this thing because you just want to pull back or do something else, and you're afraid they're going to rebel, then there's a problem with the heart. You haven't geared your parenting to the heart. If you're afraid to tell uh, your three-year-old or your four-year-old that they can't have X because you're afraid that they're going to just fall over and have a fit uh, or whine or complain or whatever it is, then there's a problem. We haven't secured obedience In our children we must do that so number four we must accomplish this task by systematic discipleship and training systematic discipleship so we set the foundation by securing obedience then we have systematic discipleship and training this is where we train their mind in the things of the lord this can't be flippant can't be off the cuff dad we're talking about their souls here You have to have some sort of systematic discipleship and training in your home. Deuteronomy six, verse seven: "You shall teach them the laws of God diligently to your sons." This implies that there's a systematic way of teaching the great truths of God's word to your children. And you can look up if you're taking notes. Deuteronomy eleven, verse nineteen to twenty-one. It's the same thing. You're teaching your kids all throughout the day. When you lie down, when you rise up, writing them on the doorpost of your house, Uh, this implies there's a systematic way of teaching and training your children in the Scriptures. You should be doing this so much so that if your house was pricked, it bleeds Bible. Okay? Have you spent time formulating a plan on how you would train and disciple your children? Dads, have you even integrated your, your wife's homeschooling into that plan so that it's there's a succinct, there's a, there's a vision? Now, we're not going to do it for you, but what we have done and what we will do is provide you tools to do it. This is why we have the catechism. This is a tool for you to use to systematically disciple and train your children. When I send out my Monday message with Mark, the Sunday sermon text is on there. How many of you look at that? Pull it up that night for family worship. The sermon text is going to be on Ephesians 6-4. Kids, let's read it. Let's talk about it. Okay? Now you have a tool to disciple your children. Then after Sunday, you go home, and either Sunday night or maybe Monday morning for breakfast. Hey, let's talk about the sermon. What did you learn, kids? What things did you pull away that you can, that you can implement in your life this week? So we have the tools for you. Lastly, we accomplish this task by prayer. We accomplish this task by prayer. These things must not be looked at as a magic formula. You know, if I, if I do this, okay, I got the homeschool check. I got the, the Bible uh, reading plan in my house check. I got the catechism check. We can't look at this as a magic formula, okay, because God does not owe you or I anything. God doesn't owe your children anything. We must saturate our efforts in prayer. And our end goal must not be having just moral kids. Our end goal must be that our children would be saved by the grace of God. And not only be saved, but that they would be trained to be forces of light to advance the kingdom of God on earth. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man avails much. So while God does normatively work through families to pass down the faith, we must not presume upon God's grace. We must not think, since I'm a Christian, then I can assume God's going to save my children. We can have faith, and we should have faith, that God will convert our children But we cannot presume upon God's grace. You see the difference, friends. When we presume upon God's grace, then we don't diligently seek for their salvation. We must walk by faith, believing, yes, that God's going to save every one of my children. But while doing it, we must pray earnestly that God would save them. Because God does have to save our children in the same manner that he saved you and I through the gospel and a conversion and through repentance and faith. So to conclude, I want to give a final exhortation to parents. Well, if you're like me, you see many areas where you fall short in this study. And I just want to encourage you to repent. Repent to God. If you need to go to your kids and repent of anything, repent to your children. I've had to repent to my children oftentimes for things I've done And for not disciplining. I've gone to my kids and said, I should have disciplined you in this. And so, since I didn't, now you're doing this. Please forgive me. Seek encouragement and help from other godly mothers and fathers. And parents, I want to give a strong encouragement to be diligent to seek securing obedience early in your children's Lives. And also trust God. Trust God that He has equipped you for this work. You may think, I don't know much about the Bible. I don't know much about discipline. I have failed. I have messed up. But trust God. He is sovereign. And where you are today was according to God's plan. Trust God that He has equipped you for the work. No matter where you are in life right now, God has given you the authority and He has equipped you to bring your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And for those who have kids maybe outside the home, you're thinking, well, how does this apply to me? Very much so. Uh, You're encouraged by God's word to teach the younger. So grab a young couple. Older men, grab a young man. Older women, grab a younger woman. And go mentor them. Go take these truths from God's word. Show them, help them, come alongside of them. Show them where you may have faulted in your parenting. Show them the successes that you had in your parenting and cover them in prayer. And those without kids, young, single people, take these truths and use them to prepare yourself to be a godly mom, to be a godly father. We so desperately, desperately need a reformation of the family. And before we can as we take the gospel outside the walls of this church, we need to make sure our own homes are in order. It does no good to go try to save the people outside your home while neglecting these things inside your own home. We need, oftentimes, we need to recalibrate our parenting to the Word of God and be not conformed to this world.